0: Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I'm joined by Chris Sherrod and Chris Legg. This is Reconstructed Faith. Welcome to the Reconstructed Faith podcast. My name is Colson Lechner, and We are in studio today. This is episode one with Chris Sherrod and Chris Legg. Um, Now, you might not know who they are. We're going to get to know each other a little bit um, and why we're doing this podcast. So, Chris Sherrod, tell us a little bit about yourself and, yeah, we can go from there.
1: Great. Well, uh, so I'm on staff here at South Spring Baptist Church. I'm the discipleship minister. Uh, I have a lovely wife, Katie, and uh, we have eight kids, two grandkids, one on the way, Wow. That kind of stuff. Wow. Uh, um, yeah. So originally from Southern California, but then met my wife and ended up in the South.
2: And uh, 20, how long you have been married? Uh, Twenty eight years. Twenty eight years.
1: Yeah, that is awesome.
2: Let's throw it over to the other Chris. That's right. I'm the other Chris today. This time. This time. Uh, my name is Chris Legg. I'm the lead pastor here at South Spring as well. And um, owner operator of Alathia Family Counseling Center, and I have been married twenty seven, coming up on twenty eight years. Um, so we're right behind the Sherids, and uh, we have five kids. And I'm sure all of those details will work their way into the conversations as we keep going with this, uh, with all of this stuff. So
0: both of you have mentioned that you're in ministry in different ways as well. So we're all on staff at a church. Chris, you have your own counseling practice, and then Chris Leg. Or, or uh, not I'm, Chris Legg. I'm Chris yeah, Legg. You're Chris Legg. That's right.
2: <laughs> if you think this is confusing for you, wait for the people <laughs> yes, who are listening. I know.
0: But you guys also have experience in camping ministry. Yes. Do you want to unpack a little bit of your ministry background before we go into things? Or? Sure, yeah.
2: You, you want me to go me? first? Are you going to be the other Chris or first Chris? Uh, I'll, well, I'll just go real quick. Yeah.
1: It'll be pretty straightforward. After college, I got hired to be a high school Bible teacher and coach. So I did that for six years. Then went on staff at a church for eight years and then came to Pineco for 11 years. And now I've been here for almost three years. So Fantastic background. Wonderful.
2: And the other, Chris? Yeah. Uh, I started being a student minister when I was 19 years old. Wow. That's when I grew a mustache. So you could, because I had a kid in the youth group who was 19. That <laughs> oh, was the youth minister at First Baptist Crockett, Texas. Shout out to Crockett, Texas. Nice. For all our listeners out there. The, um, uh, which was an awesome experience. I had no idea what I was doing. And the um, and then I've worked as a student minister, and I think it's a total of six churches over the years. Um, and then while I was getting my licensure, my degree, my licensure in, um, in counseling and then in education, and then started doing private practice work and uh, came over here as the campus pastor 10 years ago and been here a total of 10 years lead pastor for ish. Yeah. Great. So, but your yep. role at Pine Cove was, oh chaplain. yeah, and then if, then I was the chaplain, and in between there, um, yeah. what brought me to Tyler was being the the staff chaplain at Pine Cove, which was a unique, crazy experience and a unique, crazy job that doesn't really exist anywhere else. And so it was really neat yeah. to get to be the one. The one you know, they they retired the jersey or burned it, <laughs> uh, whichever, whichever they did of doing after I left, one way or another, they were. That doesn't exist anymore. So that was a but that was a fantastic time. Yes. Experience.
0: And that's how we
1: first met.
2: That's right. Chris was
1: on staff when I was applying for the job and he was one of my interviewers. Mm-hmm. That's been a long time. It was great. You know, what Do are you your remember of we, it? we went for a walk around the woods um from the woods around the block and there was like a pit bull mom with their babies. Ah, remember that? Yeah. And like we had to stop and kind of go back the way we came. <laughs> yes. I was like, Am I gonna end this day? Like yes, in the hospital. Exactly. <laughs>
2: but was I was pie. seeing how you handled that. I, I always walked you plant, all the you new planted there. down that path. Cue the dog. <laughs> yeah, cue the dog. <laughs> That's good. Release the hounds. Oh, ounce. my goodness. That's good. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you guys for for letting us know a little bit more of your background. Um, can you, I guess we'll throw it over to, to Chris Sherrod first. Can you tell us a little bit about how this podcast came to be and why it's important, especially right now yeah. in 2021?
1: Yeah. Well, every year, we've started the last couple of years doing a worldview weekend for our students here at church. And uh, Chris and I usually just team teach, like we'll tag, you know, we'll each take a session mm-hmm. or something like that. We'll do a Q&A together. And it's really fun. It's really well received anytime we've done stuff like that. Um, and so the goal for that is equipping the students, but then the parents come and we always have a lot of questions or follow-ups. And I think individually, we probably get a lot of questions. Chris does a, a Wednesday night life group uh, called Come Ask Questions. Um, I teach apologetics with the Forge program with Pine Cove. And so it's just always on our mind. And I think mm-hmm. we're always aware of, we know why we believe and what we believe and how to handle different things. But most people are don't have the time or as much of the background or interest. And I just realized, man, we, we have so much that we could share and talk about for our church family, but also just for anybody who wants to listen. I think that we could hopefully help people especially today where so much is based on feeling and um just what's popular versus god's word or what's actually true objectively true and just helping people you know come up with answers or or know how to respond yeah first of all to answer their own questions and then how do you respond anybody else
0: that's great would you add anything to
2: that it just as i'm thinking about um it seems like we're getting these deconstruction stories yeah. left and right. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think part of that is we're facing the first, kind of the first layers of persecution here in America where there's a, a family that I've worked with that their child has been bullied now into a same-sex relationship, essentially by being told, well, if you're not willing to be this girl's girlfriend, and these are preteens, by the way, mm-hmm. then you're homophobic. And so she was like, okay, fine, I'll do it. And, and it just, yeah, it's, the fir- it's these first lines of when we see people deconstructing their faith because of a stance that the Bible takes or that the church takes or, or something. And for the first time ever, for a lot of Christians in America, it's costing them something. And right now what it's costing them may be support or public opinion or whatever. And, and it just, it feels to me like so many Christians in America, their faith is so flimsy that it doesn't take much to blow it over or tear it down. And so then you, they write these, some of them, they become, you know, they're, some of them are famous people and they write these, they go on their podcasts or they write these articles, they get on social media and they explain their deconstruction story. And I think there's a couple of, there's so many different levels of, of problem with that or ignorance with that or, or foolishness or something, but it's, it's one, it's always amazed me how light and fluffy their deconstruction story is. Like that's, that's all it took. And right. I, don't, I may not sound heartless. I, some of them are, Probably really heartbroken, but a lot of them, if they are, that's not what they say. Yeah, they don't say my heart's broken or I'm very sad or I'm grieving this. They say, "Well, no one has an answer to this issue," or "I just don't want to follow a god who has this opinion," or "The church failed me in this way." Versus um, having any type of reasonable conversation about it, and they didn't. I don't. I don't know what reaching out they do in between, but they're they're what they write. You go, that's it.
1: Well, I remember when. I can't remember the guy's name from Hillsong a couple of years ago that right. posted his thing. Like, here's all my, you know, my reasons. And just every one of them, like, how, did you really actually look for any of the answers? Right. Like, we talk about these all the time, but it's yep. like, these sound good to say why I'm walking away. But I was telling Colson earlier, um, you know, in logic, there's a straw man argument. Right. Right. Yeah. And you, you make the other opinion, the other side's opinion look really flimsy. You misrepresent it because it's easier to knock down. Right. But I feel like a lot of people have straw man faith. Like their they're yes. Christianity was misrepresented. And so, of course, it's going to get knocked over easy up against that. But that's actually not what you're, you know, what we're supposed to believe. That's not the exactly. faith. And so what got knocked over was just something that you had made up or it was blind faith or whatever. But it's just, yeah. We, you know, Jesus should have
2: told a parable about that. It would, it would help us if there was any parable. <laughs> If he had said something about like how some plants shoot (laughs) up suddenly, but they have no roots, they have no... And so the first pressure... Like God, a building really with a, on a sandy or, soil. Or that, that yeah, would be a good one. Ground. That would have been a good He really missed this opportunity. Right.
0: No, the, the funny thing or the cool thing is that kind of concept of the Bible actually addressing these questions mm-hmm. right. is what we kind of were, were talking about before. Chris, do you want to use kind of that little quip that you said you had, you learned?
1: Yeah. Yeah. My son, Kobe, a couple of years ago went to uh, Summit Ministries in Colorado, had an awesome two weeks there. They bring in like some of the world's best experts on apologetics or moral issues or things like that. But at the, uh, the closing video, the guy in charge there said, um, what we've got is a lot of people who have unanswered questions, which is great. And I think we should never be afraid of any questions. Um, but then a lot of people have unquestioned answers. Yeah. So they've got these answers that maybe worked for Sunday school, youth pastor made them think like, I'm okay, but it was never really questioned. So even if they've arrived at the right answer, they don't know how they got there right. and there's no reason for it. And so then when it gets challenged or they actually start thinking a little deeper about it, they realize like, I don't know why I, I have this. And so both of those are what we, we want to address here. Unquestioned answers and unanswered questions.
2: And we're, and we're so, I guess, narcissistic, egocentric that we think <laughs> if, because I don't have an answer to that off the top of my head, there, there must, must not, nobody be. does, nobody does. Yeah. but there yeah. must not be one. And, uh, and so that's a, You know, that's the stereotypical kid who hears something, they get pushed at something by a college professor the first time, and they just collapse under the weight of it because, I mean, instead of thinking, wow, I don't know the answer to that question, but I'll bet I'm not the first Uh person to have that question. So does anybody have an answer to that question? And, man, a Google search, will you'll discover there's 7 million pages of answers to these questions. I mean, nothing, there's very little that anybody asks. that's brand new that's not been wrestled through. And each thing, each person, it works a little differently for you. I used to tell the kids at the at Pine Cove, at the Shores, the high school camp, that it's it's like when the first time you clean out your underwear drawer for yourself, that you know all your life your mom has, mm-hmm. she's she's washed your laundry, she's put your laundry in the drawer, and you just go to the drawer to find whatever's there, and that's what you put on your you know your shiny little bottom, and is whatever's there. And for some point in your life, you go to that underwear drawer and you're like, man, some of these are kid under like i still have yoda underoos right (laughs) i need to get rid of the yoda under but what we do what people do so so i think part of the mistake these people make is they're deconstructing their faith for the first time Mm -hmm. and like what what took you so long you didn't Mm -hmm. deconstruct your faith during your teen years and again in your 20s and again in your 30s and again in your i feel like we're always in the we're in a stage of deconstructing and reconstructing our faith because we we are such flawed creatures that i mean if the faith doesn't change we're not actually rebuilding something for god we're growing and we realize wow I, I thought up until yesterday that you know men had one less rib than women and that was evidence of the whole adam and eve story right and then you discover wait there's the same number of ribs on men and women oh no my whole faith collapses right yeah uh, everything i was taught is not true or um a big one for me was i grew up my whole life under the impression it had never rained before it had never rained before the flood well, it doesn't say that really clearly one way or another, but I thought it was like there, like, mm-hmm. and it had never rained before. No, the, and it's not, it's a debate. It's an open conversation right. or raised until seminary on the idea that there's this graph somewhere in the Bible about, here's this drawing that's a pre-trib rapture that shows a rapture and then there's three and a half and then there's, and I was raised on some of those things, yep. believing that those were in the Bible and so for me, fortunately, some of my first deconstruction happened at seminary. Mm-hmm. When you have a professor who knows more about it and has forgotten more about it says, yeah, that's not, yep. we know if that's right.
1: And I think the scary thing, though, for individuals, if you have a flimsy faith, a yeah. straw man faith, is when you do realize that for the first time, like you read a contradiction or whatever, and right. it is the first time you thought about it, before you start thinking the next step of, okay, so who can I ask? It is a scary moment. Oh my gosh, you're it's like, terrifying. Okay, am I crazy? Have I been totally believing a lie? I, You probably saw this as a youth pastor. I had you know parents come to me like, are you going to talk to my kid like he's he's questioning his faith and it's more like well like what's he asking right and they're great questions and <laughs> yes. so having to explain to a parent now this might be really hard for you right, right? but right. this is great cuz his faith is becoming his that's faith. right right so i've i've coined this fake term called thomas phobia <laughs> but it's fear of doubting yeah mm. and and we're so ingrained it's so ingrained in us when we're kids that you you don't want to be a doubting Thomas, you know, right. like you don't want to be the worst disciple, the betrayer. You don't want to be like even Peter, the denier, but don't be the doubter. Like, and right. so you, you, you know, around Easter time, that story every year, the kids hear that story. Like, can you believe that Thomas didn't believe boys and girls? <laughs> and we've, and we've, we leave out that none of the disciples believe <laughs> <Right, exactly. laughs> Thomas just wasn't there when he showed up the first time. Right, right. right. And so little kids are like, okay, note to self, never, ever doubt. right. Well, there's never a doubt. stigma,
0: and then it's like right, when you start questioning, which everybody does, yes. it becomes like, okay, well, what's wrong with me? And do I, like, exactly, the, you feel like the rug's pulled out from you, under you, yeah. and instead of diving in, you can live in the doubt. Yeah. Right. The first which time is,
2: something's hard, you quit versus, right, yeah. that's when you jump in. And so, sadly, sometimes, and I'm sure this will come up over the, podcast but sadly sometimes even in the Christian world the answers are cheap yep sometimes dishonest if I can I don't I don't know that I'm saying I don't mean to say that but or they shame you like right how, are you doubting your faith right and they do like, the same thing yeah I
1: mean it could be that they probably don't know the answer to the question you just yep. asked and so it's like now you're not being a doubting Thomas are you and they're like oh great
2: see yeah and you've heard me say from the pulpit Thomas is my patron saint I mean I, <laughs> I am such a skeptic about everything and I'm oh, yeah. I i am could not be more grateful that there was a guy who stood up to his friends who he's lived with for three years. They say, Hey, we saw Jesus. And Thomas, I think remembers that in Matthew 24, Jesus said, people are going to say they saw me. Don't believe them. That's Mm -hmm. one of Jesus last teachings. And, and this is not when he's talking about, he's talking about at another point in the future. And Mm yet Thomas is like, Nope, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. and, the fact that that man then according to church history, like died in India spreading the faith. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it- he he's not an easy pushover. This is not some guy who's like, oh, okay, cool, sure. Front, I mean, this is a guy who's got to be convinced. Well, see, here's an, a funny example in the famous
1: John 14 where Jesus says, "I'm going to a place you know," and you know the way. <laughs> yes. And Thomas goes, "Uh, we don't know. We don't way. know the way." <laughs> like he's, all the other disciples are probably nodding their head, like, "Oh, of course, of course." But in in maybe in their mind too, but Thomas is like, "Uh, no, I no, I got I no got clue. What are you talking Can about? You tell me. He's like, I I'm love I him.
2: It. I." He he is he is an anchor for my faith. Mm. A yeah. guy like Thomas because so, that's bored to me.
0: I guess from my perspective then we're talking about we need to have a healthy relationship with doubt. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so as we're going as we're walking through this podcast, this journey is I'm sure everybody's listening has dealt with this. Remember that you're not alone right. in this and to not give up. Yeah. Now I don't know if you want to say anything else, but I would like to take a little bit of time and hear your reconstructed faith stories. Okay. And so unless you're wanting to finish out any other thoughts, I think it'd be good to I, this this move is forward. what we're,
2: the, the what I tell those told those students always was you're not done when you just dump out your underwear drawer. Yeah. Now you've got to go through the underwear, decide, no, this was my mom's choice. This mm-hmm. was my this no, we're not doing that. My grandma bought me these. I've never worn like those can be trashed. But you still gotta have some underwear in the drawer when you're done. You're not done deconstructing until you have reconstructed. And I think we have a whole generation that is embracing deconstructing and then they're done. Mm-hmm. And and I I call that cowardice. I think when you when you just throw it all out because it's easier to not mess with it, I think that's just cowardice. And I think there is a generation of adults like we've talked about who oh gosh, a whole lot of topic I don't want to get too far on, but but we have this specialization culture where, you know, there's professional plumbers and there's special professional electricians, and you know, I can I said to the, some students the other day, I can't afford to change the oil in my car anymore because I need to be going, making more money, and paying somebody else. And when kids come to their parents and they go, oh, "What about what about Native Americans? They never met Jesus or Jews. What happens to them?" But mm-hmm. well, the parents, the parents either panic, don't. I'm um, it's, it's not. Uh, we don't need to talk. Or you they go. Your faith. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or they say, "Ask the pastor." Yeah. Because the parents are making it very clear. I don't know. I don't care. Not interesting to me. Not something. There are professionals who do that mm-hmm. versus recognizing that's not how faith works. Each of us must wrestle with God like Jacob did. And, and we may limp when we walk away. Um, and so I, I, my reconstruction story is about being raised in a nominally Christian home until about age six. My parents were both Christians, would have said that. But neither one of them had lived that out on their own throughout college since they'd left their homes they had not been involved uh, in the faith and my they were both well-educated people and they both would have said they're christians again but they didn't go to church until i was six and that whole generation the baby boomer generation of well we need to raise our children in church and they get to church and realize we're lost um and so they would, if not for the the kid is who they go, well we better go to church. It actually involved me going to a vacation Bible school, if y'all can imagine this. Uh Chris and I are about the same age, so it's well, he can imagine it. But I grew up out in the woods and there was this I, I'm not kidding that it was a white van that drove through the neighborhood to pick up kids for Sunday school. <laughs> it's so scary. And I mean a vacation Bible school. Yeah, and they yeah. would just pull up, pull into the neighborhood yeah. and say, Go ask your parents if you can come to vacation bible <sighs> school. And we would all run inside and <laughs> ask our parents. Hey, the vacation Bible school van is here. Can we go to vacation Bible school? And all of our parents said yes. <laughs> and so we went to this culty, weird church out in Appleby, Texas. And and I came home after the first day of vacation Bible school and <laughs> apparently said I was like, Hey, did y'all know? And then started saying stuff. And they're like, We gotta get
1: in church. And that was <laughs> it was
2: all horrible, terrible. Like they sent me randomly to a anyway, all the problems. Um, but uh, but I came back fascinated and I wanted to talk about it and they were terrified. So then my dad, if you can imagine this, got invited to church for the first time and he had been in the town now for six years. No one had ever invited him to church. Again, you know, there's a criticism for the church, but, um, and we went to a church that was not, it was a, there was some wonderful, God fearing, lovely, amazing saints there. It's where I learned to love Bible stories. We went there for gosh, 10, almost 10 years, Uh, nine years, seven years. So, um, man, there were so many good things to say, but it also wasn't the kind of church that was growing and thriving and, and vibrant. Uh, jokingly, I said they were the church that when the when Jesus comes back, they'll be the first because it says the dead in Christ will rise first. <laughs> but that's totally unfair. Honestly, it's funny, but it's totally unfair. They were they gave of their heart and soul, but yeah. the church itself was very flawed. The domination was flawed, and as they all are. Um, but that's where I learned to love the church, and then we transferred over... And it was we transferred over to a church in Nacogdoches, um, Northwood Baptist Church. The pastor was Kent Pate. And during those years, during my late teen years, the way I describe it is, as an 11-year-old or maybe as a 14-year-old, that's the common story, I kind of jumped across the river in a very narrow place. Like, okay, that gospel makes sense. We'll do that. Jumped across the river in a shallow place. But I would have been like a lot of people, stunningly unprepared to deal with any of the questions. And during my college years, and maybe even a little after, is when I re-entered the river at a swampy spot coming from the other side, and I slogged around in the swamp, never outwardly, I was even a student minister for part of this time, never outwardly showing these questions, but I was reading every holy book that was written, Bhagavad Gita and the Tao Te Ching and the Book of Mormon and the writings of Mary Eddie Baker and the writings of the Buddha and Everything i get my hands on, I was reading them and evaluating them because I, and I don't want to go into detail here. This will take more time at some other time. But there was a series of questions I realized if I can't re-arrive at the same conclusions after I've thrown Christian presuppositions out, then I shouldn't really, really rethink all of this. So if I start by saying, okay, let's take all Jesus language, all Bible language, all of that out and start with what what would it be like, what is it like if there is a God? And what would that God be? And I'll tell you the first step, and then we'll pick up the others another time, was what does this God need from me? What does this God need from his creation? And I realized that if the god if the God as introduced needed something from creation, he wasn't God. Um that makes no sense. That if it's all about what I can give God, then that was wrong. And and so as I went through all these other world religions the philosophy ones like Confucianism or Taoism or um, you know, about a third of Buddhism, I loved. I thought they're fascinating. I loved them. I learned a ton from them, and I still enjoy them, and very often it's amazing how it's connected to the truth they can be as a philosophy perspective. But all the other religions and most versions of Christianity fell apart at that moment when I said he can't need anything from me. If he needs something from me, if it's if this is about me doing stuff for him, it can't be correct. It has to be about what he does for me or it makes no sense. The idea of a God who would of a father who would give birth to a son, lay him in a crib and say, Hey, if you ever wanted a relationship with me, come find me. And I was like, that's, that is a lie. I don't know what else is true, but I know that cannot be it. And it's amazing how that one thing narrowed my search. Um, and sadly, I hear a lot of Christians who still think that describes Christianity because they don't understand the gospel. But that one thing was the first step in me reconstructing a faith that that was right. And I don't mean just right for me, but it was right for me, but also transcendently right. Yeah. There you go. That was my first big step. That was great. great. Okay, thank Alrighty. you, thank you, Chris. Like Any questions, Chris? Shared. What do you think?
0: No, that's no That's that crazy. was great thank okay. you so much for sharing yeah, and yeah. i know there are things that we'll get to uh, unpack oh, yeah. in later episodes more. i'm excited yep. about that but thank you for sharing Not that enough. chris sherrod can you give us a little bit of your your kind of reconstructed faith journey
1: yeah so i grew up i mean as long as i can remember going to church and started in sixth grade went to a christian school this is in san diego and um Really enjoyed it. I mean, I did good. I never went through like a big rebellion stage, but a lot of it was, I want to be a good student, and I know a lot of the answers in my head. Uh, It was a great school. It was actually part of, um, on the property of David Jeremiah's church um, called Shadow Hmm. Mountain Now. Okay. Like, I went to school with with his son and and stuff like that. That's cool. Yeah. But uh, going into college, I knew, okay, this is not going to be the same. We're not going to start class off in prayer. You know, it's going to be different. I think I was a little amazed like really wow every single one of my courses has this presupposition that's opposite of what I was raised with so So interesting astronomy starts off with there's no god there's just this explosion everything comes by itself history even starts off with evolution Um, psychology starts off with we're all related to animals and so I was I was intrigued by like okay I knew it was going to be pretty different or or thorough but wow everything really is different and so the first time my faith was challenged, it was more on a moral issue. Um, it was in the psychology class, and I have no idea how the topic of abortion came up. Mm. But the the professor said something like, well, I mean, who in here thinks abortion is wrong anyways? And so in my mind, I was like, well, okay, I knew this was coming, and there'll probably just be a few of us, but here it goes. And so I raised my hand, <laughs> and I looked around, and no one else had their no hand way. raised. Like literally no one else. And you know how you there's times when you feel like, everyone's eyes are on you. And I'm just like, Oh my goodness. And so that immediately starts this people around me going like, what are you going to tell me what truth in my body? How come you, and, and and all of this stuff. And I was just like, okay, first of all, he just asked and I raised (laughs) my hand. Like, (laughs) you you don't mean to be honest, but it made me realize I, I would have got, you know, you know, credit from the teacher a year ago in high school from like a great job taking a stand for your faith. And mm-hmm. everyone would have agreed with me. Agreed with me. And now this is the first time where I went, yeah, I, I know that I believe that it's wrong. And so mine really was the unquestioned answers. But I was like, I don't know where to start. I, I just know that the conclusion, that's wrong. Wow. And so it made me have to back up and go, so what do I believe about homosexuality? Why yeah, why oh, yeah. is it wrong? About abortion, about marriage, what I believe about any of these things. And I really <laughs> realized I don't even know specifically where in the Bible it says that. Yep. So I, um, I wouldn't say I had a crisis of faith, but I had a, my, a crisis of I am just not prepared at all, you know, on how to respond to these things. And so I remember the very first book I bought was called Why I Believe by D. James Kennedy. And it just kind of started with God and the Bible and Jesus and, you know, creation and other stuff of like, here's a really, really basics. I mean, it was a really pretty thin book, but it, began to build my faith back where I was like, okay, I, n- I need to know this. But at the same time, I was working with people that had other religious beliefs and other, other things that I'm like, I don't even know if that's what you believe. I know I've been told that you're wrong. I don't know why you're wrong though. You <laughs> yeah. know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I, I just don't even know in general where to start. Like Mormons sound just like Christians as, as far as their vocabulary. But I was always told like, well, they're wrong. And I'm like, okay, I don't know why. I don't know where, and so it was kind of like everything's out on the table, and I'm just going to go back to, okay, let's just start with one thing. So my first real big thick apologetics book was Evidence That Demands a Verdict. There you go. So I'm like, let me start with the Bible Yep. and just figure out, apart from, you know, this is just what Christians believe, is there is there external evidence for the Bible? And so that was my first big book I tackled and was uh then encouraged to go deeper and, and things like that. So one of the reasons I actually got into teaching, um, wanted to teach in a Christian school was I just felt like I just don't want to have a whole lot of I know the morals up here. We're moral on the outside, but we don't know why on the inside. And yep. I wanted to help equip, you know, young people. And so that's kind of what got me on the path of teaching anyways.
0: If you were just gonna give like a short snippet of why why this conversation is valuable why it's valuable for people to engage with this theme or however you would say it, whether it's a theme or the concept of reconstructing your faith, what would you in- encourage somebody? Let's say if you're at a coffee shop and somebody brings up this, you know, hey, I'm I'm dealing with my faith or what, what however you lead into that. And somebody's like, well, I used to be a Christian, but I've kind of deconstructed my faith. What is a short snippet of like, hey, this is why this is important?
1: Well, my thing would be, it's so hard in today's day and age where everything can be captured like on a meme or we want it in a tweet. And so my challenge would initially be, are you really looking for answers or just a philosophy that lets you live like you want? Because most people don't want to go deeper than they, than they have to because they, they realize I think either consciously or subconsciously that, that if, if there really is a God, then there's a bigger price tag and I'm going to be accountable and things are going to change. So I just challenge them a little bit. Like, don't don't be afraid to ask tough questions, but be prepared to think and to be patient. And if we're talking about a big, heavy issue, you can't just answer it in, in, a, in a tweet. So I would say don't be scared of your questions. Um, don't be scared of doubt, but be prepared to think
2: hard. I, I, I do. I, I totally agree with all that. And I think that that's especially right now when what's cool is to deconstruct your faith. Mm-hmm which means it's going to cost you to reconstruct it. Um, there's nothing wrong with deconstructing it in and of itself, as long as the goal is to come to some healthy, good, right, true conclusion. And deconstructing alone is all, it's just, you're just deconstructing. I mean, how hard is that? Which is, you know, take the house down or build the house. And I mean, all you need is a flood to take a house down, a tornado. There's nothing, or a two-year-old to take a house down. You know about that, Colson. So, it's a it, what you what you to construct something or to reconstruct something that's where the real work comes in. So I agree with Chris saying you got to be prepared for that. And I think very often, and I mean this gentle because I know all the psychological issues that go on with people as they deconstruct and when they've been hurt by people in Jesus' name. And we'll talk about all that stuff for sure. Um, but, but the problem is you're left with a, a less meaningful, more empty life. And you don't have to. Um, in order to be reasonable, you don't have to walk away from your faith. We have a reasonable faith. In order to be smart, you don't have to walk away from your faith. In order to be educated, you don't have to walk away from your faith. It's a. It, it's the root of so much, and it's not something that's just some simple, like, well, my parents said to believe it, and that's therefore I believe it. We all need to deconstruct some of those things. But we're not done working until we we then build something on that platform that was left over, that foundation that was left over. And I, I love the idea of being able to come alongside and shore up people's faith. E- even in our church, I don't know if, I don't think, Chris, you may have been there when I was talking, but to some of our younger members of our staff, and they were saying, hey, can you talk with us about how to help make sure our friends who have deconstructed their faith come back? And I said, yeah, sh- I mean, sure, I'll be happy to talk through that with you. Honestly, though, my fear is that in five years, you will have deconstructed your faith. And, and, and. It, the pressure to do so is getting stronger and stronger and stronger, and we're watching students who we've invested in, in the past. Well, the house they built stood because the storm they faced was minor, and I don't think that's I don't think that incl- that's part of our future here in America. I think I think if your faith holds, it'll be through a storm, not because there wasn't one.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructed Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up. Trust God. Search for answers.